listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Thank y'all for being here. Uh, had a great uh, Sunday evening, our missions night. Thank y'all for being a part of that. What an encouraging time. And then so many of our people came this morning for our, um, our children's uh, meeting at 9 o'clock. And y'all are such a faithful people. And I'm so thankful for you. And it's a privilege to open the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse number 31 this morning, going to verse 49. Um, What's happening in the book of Daniel? Um, Israel is in sin. They have violated um, their covenant with God. God says, I'm going to send you into captivity. So God raises up this nation, uh, Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and uh, ransacks Jerusalem, takes these captives over to uh, Babylon. They're, they put them in a three-year training program to try to sort of get the 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 Jewishness out of them, the the, the is Israeliness out of them so that they could become productive citizens. God's plan was for 70 years. Nebuchadnezzar was planning for amalgamation. Nebuchadnezzar's a great leader. Um, he's a great warrior, probably. Uh, Babylon is the greatest superpower in the world at this time. And uh, while they're in training, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, these four men begin to rise to the surface. They become the main actors in this story that God is communicating to us through his word. And what's happened is Nebuchadnezzar is laying in bed and he has a dream and he calls in all of his wise men. He calls in the, the, the smartest, the most spiritual people in the kingdom. And he says, tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation of the dream. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Nobody can do it. Finally, Daniel finds out what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to get out of the wise men. And he says, I'll do it. And so Daniel asks his friends, his three friends to pray. They pray. God gives Daniel not only the dream, but the interpretation. And it is of massive worldwide throughout history proportions that we're going to see this morning as it relates to this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that he revealed to Daniel. And Daniel interprets while he is a captive in exile in Babylon. What a great, great story that we look at here in the book of Daniel. Um, the title of my message this morning would be Living in a Fading Kingdom. Um, and by the way, Daniel was living in a fading kingdom, but you and I need to understand that we're living in a fading, fading kingdom as well. If we see anything else in the text, let us understand that. We are all living in a fading, failing kingdom. But when we get to the end of the text this morning, I'm going to tell you that there is a kingdom that will never fail. And the text makes it clearer um, than could ever be made. So Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse number 31, I want to begin reading there this morning. Daniel has already gone through, if you're following um, the narrative that's given here to us, Daniel has already gone through and communicated, and now he's going to begin to tell Nebuchadnezzar, this mighty king, what he saw and what it means. Verse 31, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image 
Notice the, the words that are used here. This image, mighty and of exceeding. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, and the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. This is the kingdoms of the world, right? He's going he's gonna to explain that to us. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So the first thing we see in the text is that Daniel reveals the dream. Let me just uh, talk, give you a couple of talking points uh, about that uh, quickly. Number one, the text points out that what he's, what Daniel, what, what Nebuchadnezzar sees is something that is brilliant, that is fierce, that is powerful, that is intimidating, and that is controlling. And it seems like when we see this, this, the head of this image that is made of gold, that it is indomitable, it is unconquerable, and it is seemingly an eternal image that is going to last forever. But very quickly, this dream that God has given Nebuchadnezzar begins to digress, and we need to understand that. That all of human history, no matter how much better you think your life is getting and how much better you think this world is getting or how much better you think the nation is getting or how much better you think your kids are getting or whatever it is you're looking at, all of life is diminishing. And we begin to see, and he gives this explanation, this, this, this excessive, um, the successive symbols of diminishing value. The, the splendor decreases but the hardness increases and they become seemingly more powerful and more stable. He also talks about a stone that is of divine origin. And this stone strikes the feet of the image. And in all of its splendor and its power and its dominance, this image, when its feet are struck, it destroys the entire image. And the image disappears into oblivion. Quite frankly, this image is gone forever without a trace in comparison to the prominence of the stone. The stone that is not made by human hands, obviously coming from the hand of God, removes all rivals and obstacles, and it eternally and forever fills the whole earth. So that, that's what Daniel's telling us here in these first few verses. The second thing we see is that Daniel interprets the dream, verses 36 to 45. And what Daniel is going to show us and we can look back in history and understand it, is that, that these are the successive empires of the ancient Near East. Now, depending on what date you think Daniel was written, right? There are some people that would like to say, aha, Daniel was written in the first century, therefore these things had already happened, so any, anybody could predict these things with great accuracy. And that would be uh, called the... Um, scholarly perspective, right? 
That would be called the scholarly perspective. Now, I also understand that the scholarly perspective is that nobody can tell you what a woman is, right? That supposedly is the science. And the scholarly perspective is that you're really not what you are on the outside, you're what you are on the inside. Um, so if you want to if you want to be a dog and bark, or you want to be a cat and meow, and so, um, but but there is scholarship that has given serious consideration to when the book of Daniel was written. But scholarship, or at least popular scholarship, would say that it is the tra- traditional view that the book of Daniel was written in the sixth century. Therefore, what Daniel is saying to us here is predictive of the future and. Probably some weight that could be added to that is that uh, Daniel is mentioned in, in the book of Ezekiel on two or three um, different occasions. And there are other things to add to that. But you, you may say, well, I, I, I don't think that this is predictive. I think it's just looking back over history. I would just put all my cards on the table and tell you that I believe that it is predictive. I believe that Daniel wrote this in the 6th century. I believe that Daniel existed as a real person. And I believe that he is predicting the future with great accuracy because God has given that to him. Because throughout Scripture, God has proven to be able to do that. And so uh, Daniel begins to give this explanation um, in verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. And, and, and he is. He's, he's a very powerful king. Babylon is the greatest superpower. This is probably one of the greatest kings in the history of humanity. And into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beast of the field, the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. And he says, wow, sigh of relief, I'm the head of gold. Very quickly, another kingdom Inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all of the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. Verse 43, and you saw the iron mixed with soft clay so that so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. Verse 44, and the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that, that, he sh- that shall never be destroyed and shall be the kingdom of nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall, st- and he shall, st- and it shall stand forever. Forgive me. I need to be wearing my other glasses, but I refuse to. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. And its interpretation is sure. What, what is this interpretation? So we see the revelation, verses 31 to 35. But secondly, we see the interpretation, verses 36 to 45. First of all, the head of gold is Babylon. 
Babylon existed from 626 B.C. to 529 B.C. It was this massive city that had um, a wall around it that was 56 miles long, that was 80 feet wide, that was 300 feet tall. It was a, a, a kingdom laden with gold. The signs were made of gold. The statues were made of gold. They had stairs that were made of gold. The throne was made of gold. And people had to wonder as they felt like mankind was progressing with all of what, what they would have thought of, what we think of as technology, probably what they thought of as technology. They had to wonder, could this be the ultimate kingdom? Could this be the eternal kingdom? Could this be the eternal king? But we know that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't because he was told quickly that there, there would arise another king. And it was king and kingdom that would be inferior to him. And that would be the chest and arms of silver. And that's the Medo-Persia Empire from 550 B.C. to 330 B.C. And then he moves quickly to this bronze stomach and thighs, which was Greece, 312 B.C. to 60 B.C., Alexander the Great, and then moving from Alexander the Great to the legs of iron, which is Rome. And Rome extends from 146 B.C. to, to um, the 15th century A.D. with all that it went through, even with its divisions. And then we see the feet of iron and clay, and there is some type of uh, division there in the Roman Empire. Some would say that that division um, spans the time of the coming of Christ and the conquering of Julius Caesar by the power of God to the end of the world when Christ comes as this stone. Different people have different views of what these feet of clay are. Some would say it is a revived Roman Empire at the end of time, depending on your eschatological perspective. And so he gives us this interpretation, and then he talks to us about this stone. And the, the stone is addressing Nebuchadnezzar's immediate future, but he's also addressing God's plan for human history, for the world, and for Nebuchadnezzar, and for every king, and for you, and for me. You see, the fact of the matter is, is, that, is that God is the author of history. History is his story. When I say story, I don't mean things that are made up. I mean, it's, it's this unfolding, this dramatic unfolding of human history that we see before our eyes. And so what's happening here is God is unfolding by his sovereign power, by his sovereign decree, by his sovereign will, what is going to be happening in the future. God is the author of human history, and God is the author of the story of your life. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. We didn't just come here today to understand the, the, the magnanimous nature of human history and the even greater nature of the power of God, but we come here to understand that we are a part of what God is doing. He has included us in that. Don't miss that this morning. Let me point out the, the bad news of what, of what Daniel has just told Nebuchadnezzar. First of all, he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, you will not live forever. Throughout the text, we see uh, every time somebody approaches the king, oh, king, live forever, you know. 
And you say that to these great rulers. Live forever, O king. Everybody knows they're not going to live forever. But all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar, maybe who believes some of the press reports about him, how amazing he is, all of a sudden the bad news is you will not live forever, number one. But secondly, your kingdom will fall and be replaced with an inferior one. Now, they're, they're, especially in our day and age, we really work hard to make sure that we're remembered, don't we? We've got all kinds of pictures. What would happen if your house burned down? All kinds of DVDs and VHSs and all kinds of pictures. Your, uh, your entire family history would be potentially decimated. Or if the economy doesn't turn around, the stock market continues to tank, all of the fortune that you have amassed that you're trying to save and hopefully leave some for your kids or you have kids and you want your name to carry on. We want our kingdoms to continue to exist. And he's saying your kingdom is coming to an end. Your kingdom is going to fall and it's going to be replaced. And I just want to tell you and me this morning, our kingdom is going to fall. We are a part of a, a failing, fallen kingdom that is not going to continue, and sin will ensure that reality. We are going to fall. We are going to fail. We are part of a failing kingdom. I think he's pointing out, and I've already mentioned it, the human tendency is this, that, that we improve, that we get better over time. But the truth is we digress. This picture is human history starting out in grandeur, and it ends in weakness. And it's interesting that if the iron, and I believe the iron does represent, and I believe that's well documented, the Roman Empire, it's interesting when you look at Romans chapter 1, and you read it beginning in verse 18, and you look at this, this overlay of what happens in human history when, when men suppress the truth in unrighteousness and worship animals and four-footed beasts and idols instead of God, where we end up, it couldn't be more graphic. We end up in a really bad place. But, but here's, listen, as we think about that for just a second, and, and, and I, I hasten, as we think about the bad news, there, there, there are two things that I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see is this. There are things that we associate with a great kingdom. Whether it be a national kingdom, whether it be a state, whether it be a city, or whether it be your own personal life. There are two things that we associate with having a great kingdom or having even a great family. One is, is wealth. Th that's why we're worried about who's in the White House. We're worried about the price of gas. That's why we're worried about who's in the White House. That's why this, like the last election, 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 like the next election, like the next election will be the most important election in the history of America. Why? Because, because we're worried about our money. We're worried about our money. Because every great kingdom, whether it is a nation or whether it is your family, needs money, financial security. And if we have financial security, we can breathe a sigh of relief, right? Financial security and power to control outcomes, right? That's, that's what we believe are good things. If you walked in here today frustrated, if you walked in here today upset, if you walked in here today angry, if you walked in here today feeling like things weren't going your way, it's, it's because all of those things make you feel powerless. And we love to feel powerful. 
the bill of goods that was sold to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is I'm going to give you things that are going to make you happy. I'm going to give you experiences that are going to make you happy. And I'm going to give you power. And that is going to make you happy. And that is so woven into the fabric of who we are that we associate that with being a powerful, a good, a proper kingdom. Bad news. What we consider a great kingdom is not what God considers a great kingdom. In fact, this stone comes. Do you know how the stone came? He came, came in obscurity. The stone didn't come with a gold head or a silver chest or a bronze torso or iron legs. The stone came and made himself of no reputation. There could not be a more lowly arrival of a king of kings and lord of lords came in humility. That was his kingdom. That is his kingdom. He didn't come in power. He didn't come shaking his fist. He didn't come demanding his rights. Two different kinds of kingdoms. And I'm afraid that we identify with the kingdom of money and might as opposed to the kingdom of humility and no reputation and poverty. That's bad news. The good news is this. The stone comes as a declaration of salvation. When all, listen, when all of these kingdoms fail, when all of these kingdoms fail, a final kingdom is coming. A final kingdom is coming. And this, this stone represents this final kingdom. And we know from Scripture that, that there is this stone that will rise from the tribe of Judah. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis in Genesis 49 and, and verse 24. L listen to Genesis 49, 24. It says, Yet his bow remained unmoved and his arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. He's talking about Messiah, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 14, again, equates this stone with the one who is to come. Isaiah 8, 14. It says, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both the house of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble on it. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and taken. So we see this stone in Luke chapter 20 in verse number 18 over in the New Testament. Again, let me just um, uh, read these scriptures for you before we move on. I want you to understand that this stone is none other than Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 20 and verse number 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Folks, here's the, here's the truth. Jesus comes. He is the stone. Jesus comes to save. Jesus is the rock of salvation. Jesus Christ, according to Psalm chapter 40, will lift you up out of the miry clay and set your feet upon a rock 
to stay. That is the purpose of the stone. He is the one that is going to crush all of the other kingdoms. And his eternal final kingdom is going to rise up. And he is coming to save all who will call on his name. But I want to tell you this morning that if you reject him, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 6 and going through verse 8, if you reject him, the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. But if you reject him, if you're stumbling over Jesus Christ, if you're offended by Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that the stone will crush you as well. Make no mistake about it. If you reject Jesus Christ, you will be crushed with the kingdoms of this world. If you identify with any other kingdom but his kingdom, you will be crushed. If you identify with any other kingdom but his kingdom, you will regret it this morning. In Mark chapter 1 and verse number 15, and it's, it's quite clear in the beginning of the gospel of uh, Mark, I want, you to, I want you to hear what Mark says because Mark identifies the kingdom of heaven with an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It says in Mark 1.15 saying, the time is fulfilled. What is the time that's fulfilled? Christ has come. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. There is no other option. And so the stone is coming. That which is least valuable and humble, I've already said it, made himself of no reputation and he will crush and he will obliterate and he will dominate and, and every rival kingdom will be destroyed and his rule and reign will be eternal. You say, that sounds kind of mean, doesn't it? It's actually really good. It's actually really good. Because his rivals, those that would rival Creator God and His Son Jesus Christ are not good people. They're, they're wicked people. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is obliterating every rival against Him so that there can be hope, so that there can be peace, so that there can be joy, so that there can be love. The point of the text is this to Nebuchadnezzar, and it is the point that comes to us this morning. The God who Daniel serves, who lives in heaven, will one day establish his kingdom over all of the earth. Say, well, I just don't believe that. Well, here's what you can't deny. You can't deny that the kingdoms that he depicts here in the text have already been established as historical fact. Now, if you believe, as I do, that Daniel predicted these things and you believe that Daniel was a real person that really lived, then there's got to be great confidence in this Bible that we say that we read and that we believe. And even if you say, I don't believe that, you can't deny the fact that these kingdoms existed, that other kingdoms exist, that you yourself are trying to have your own kingdom, and that every kingdom that any of us has ever been a part of is a failing kingdom. So the whole concept of kingdom and the desire to find a kingdom that is a good kingdom, that is a right kingdom, that is a powerful kingdom, that is a winning kingdom, that desire deep within us is looking for something that's better than where we are right now. And so uh, there is this kingdom that we live in, but there is a better king coming. As it, as it relates to us this morning, let me go back to the bad news, good news from the text um, this morning. 
You may feel powerful, as brilliant as newly polished gold, as tough as iron. You may feel as hard as steel. Life may be just the way you want it. You may be on top of the world with your money and your power, but the, the bad news is you are a part of a failing kingdom that will ultimately be punished, be crushed, no matter how good you have it here. From, from Bill Gates to Warren Buffett to whatever person that you want to be like. That is bad news this morning. But there is good news this morning. There is an invitation out of a failing kingdom into a final kingdom. There is an invitation out of a failing kingdom into a final kingdom. There may be some of you here today and you say, you know what, all my life is a failure. I want to go back and tell you this, that as we look at the God of history, understand that just as much as he controlled these kingdoms, he is controlling your kingdom. And that, that God is the author of your story in your life. And you may be saying, you know what, I'm a failure, my life is a failure, I was created to be a failure. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've had some pretty severe thoughts about how worthless your life is. I want to tell you that this morning that there is this, this beautiful invitation to leave this kingdom where you're trying to make it that's lying to you about what makes your life valuable and meaningful. And enter into a completely different kingdom with a completely different value system that, that's not causing you to grope around in darkness and try to have power that will only be crushed one day. But it's a kingdom of light and it is a kingdom of life. And, and here's how Jesus put it. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be a part of a fading, failing kingdom that will be crushed by the coming kingdom. But Christ left heaven, came to earth, robed himself in human flesh, had eyeballs in his head and hands to reach out to, to grab people who couldn't get up, had hands to reach out and touch people who couldn't see and invite them into a different kingdom. A kingdom of life and light, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom where people relate on a different basis than they do in this world where it's dog-eat-dog. I've tried to drive around recently, and I, two things that just bring me to the point of nervous, of nervous breakdown. I believe my blood pressure goes up. I, I, drove, I drove to Raven Gap to watch a soccer game, and I drove back in the same day. And then when I drive and I get on 285, and I've got a peach pass. I'm probably overpaid, you think, because I got a peach pass. But I got a peach pass. My wife got us a peach pass. I get in the peach pass lane. And I'm, I'm going about as fast as my little four-cylinder car will take me. And I got people up on my bumper, especially people driving F-250 pickups or, or GMC 2500s where their headlights get right in your rearview mirror. And, and you just can't go fast enough for them and everybody's angry and everybody's switching lanes and I can't keep up with it. It's 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 just it's just crazy. And the other thing is is when I go to Lowe's. I can't find anybody to help me. 
They've got, they've got way more employees than they need. I can't find anything. I look it up on my phone. I call somebody and ask them about it. I, I, I just, my blood pressure just, and, and it just seems like the world that we live in is just a messed up, angry world. And we call it a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Everybody is just out for themselves. That's the world that we live in. That is all that this kingdom has to offer you, no matter how much money you have or how powerful you feel or how great you think your kingdom is, how great you think your family is. I want to tell you, we are all a part of a failed kingdom. We're all a part of a failing kingdom. We're all a part of a fading kingdom kingdom but there is a kingdom that is coming that you and i have been invited to be a part of that is the kingdom of light that is the kingdom of life jesus said seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness so we should be seeking that kingdom we should be repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and we should be praying thy kingdom come thy will be done this is this is where life is found in his kingdom with him in relationship with him and so i invite you into that kingdom this morning you say how do i get there my wife played for me this past week again that story about alistair Begg. some of you have heard it you've seen it and Alistair Begg is talking about the guy who was the, 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 the thief on the cross. And Jesus told him, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. Come, come go to the kingdom with me, right? As Jesus is dying and he gets to heaven. And when he gets to heaven, they're asking him, what are you doing here? He's like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Well, who, who, you know, what, what, you know, you got any certification? Did, did you know, did you, do you know any doctrine? I mean, did you pray the sinner's prayer? I mean, are you, you know, are you Calvinist? You're Arminian? You know, are you Presbyterian? You Baptist? You charismatic? What? How did you get here? He's like, I, I don't know. He's like, let me get my supervisor. They come begin to question him. And in frustration, the guy says, I don't know how I got here. The only thing I know is that the man on the middle cross told me I could come. And, and here's what I want to tell you. You, you, don't, you don't have to be super smart and you don't have to know everything that the Bible has to say. All you have to know is that the man on the middle cross, Jesus Christ, who came and fulfilled all righteousness and who came and died for your sin in your place and who rose victorious, says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All, all of you that are just worn out by everything that this, the kingdoms of this world have to offer, Come to Christ and come into his kingdom. The man on the middle cross said you could come if you would believe in him. Finally, we see in these last verses that Daniel is um, promoted. In fact, the outline that I wrote said Daniel finds favor in the failing kingdom because he was faithful in the final, to the final kingdom. Daniel finds favor in the failing kingdom what does that mean? Does that mean we can't find favor in this kingdom that we live in? No, I think if we are faithful to God, there may be a chance that someone in this failing kingdom will look to us and say there is something profoundly different about that person. 
And there was something profoundly different about Daniel that, that brought him favor in a failing kingdom. But the thing that brought him favor in the failing kingdom was not his willingness to compromise with the kingdom, but it was his willingness to be faithful to the final kingdom when Christ was going to come. And so I would challenge you this morning as I close, faithfulness to the final kingdom impacts how we live in this world that is failing in this kingdom that is failing. We are to love and serve within this fading kingdom while we wait for the final kingdom. Let me, let me just give you four things to think about as we go. Number one, Daniel never compromises his faith, but he never engages with contempt. Daniel never compromises his faith, but he never engages with contempt. Um, we, we, Daniel knew God. Daniel was faithful to God. Daniel had the power of God on his life. Daniel had been given the ability to interpret visions and dreams. Daniel took a stand when nobody else would take a stand. It's related to his diet. Yet you never hear of, of any instance in the life of Daniel where he is walking out into the world with a clothespin on his nose saying, yuck, at everything that was going on around him in this fallen kingdom. And by the way, things were really bad. Paganism was really strong. This, this head of gold and all of his followers and all of his kingdom, they were really confident in what they were doing. It, it, was, it was really messed up. But Daniel didn't enter into the culture with, uh, with this uh, heart that was filled with contempt and angry at everybody around him. He was confident there was a better kingdom. And he lived in such a way as to offer hope to those who were in a failing kingdom that was sure to fail and be crushed. And just as Jonathan read this morning, going, going into all the world, that's what we've been called to. We've been called to go out into this kingdom and offer the hope of a future kingdom that will never fail and call people out of this kingdom that is failing, that has fallen. And folks, listen to me. The failure of the kingdom that we currently live in here, even in the United States of America, is screaming louder than it's ever screamed, in my opinion, in the history of humanity, that this thing is messed up. And we are to be there with the light that overcomes darkness. And we are to be there with life in the midst of death that offers hope to a failing kingdom. So Daniel never compromises his faith, but never engages in contempt. Secondly, Daniel leveraged everything in the failing kingdom for the sake of the final kingdom. Daniel leveraged everything. Dan everything Daniel touched, Daniel saw it as an opportunity for the future kingdom and its values and its king. Daniel was in this failing kingdom, and he was extremely blessed. He was extremely favored, but every time he was blessed and favored and recognized and given a platform, all he talked about, all he lived for, all of his resources, all of his successes were invested in the future kingdom. That, that would be to say that we can be out here in this failing kingdom and we can be extremely successful and extremely blessed. But the question is, when we look at our money and we look at our might, what kingdom do we think about? That's the question. You see, for those of us that understand that we're living in a failed kingdom, but there is a final kingdom that will never fail, 
whenever we're blessed in this failing kingdom, the question we ask and try to answer is, how can I use these blessings to point people to the final kingdom? You need to think about that this morning. Thirdly, and I've only got four things as I close, every kingdom that you have ever been a part of is a failing kingdom. Every kingdom that you have ever been a part of is a failing kingdom. Can we just, can we just take a deep breath and say, yep, that's right. You say, no, no, wait a minute, you don't understand. I've got a, I've got a great family. Uh, I've got a great heritage. I've got great parents. I've got great kids. Um, you're going you're gonna to find out that you're a part of a failing kingdom. You haven't created something that is in any way compared to the final kingdom. You say, wait a minute, I know, I know Jesus. Yeah, I, I know Jesus too. And I want to tell you that the fact that we're a part of a failing kingdom and we're constantly bouncing back and forth trying to make this kingdom that we're living in work and at the same time trying to pledge allegiance to the final kingdom. We struggle there, don't we? We struggle there. Every kingdom that we've ever been a part of is a failing kingdom. Whether it be sickness, right? We break down. Um, I, I, I'm so glad that my special needs granddaughter can walk. They told us that she never would. They told us that when she was born, she was going to die. We had clothes ready for a funeral. Uh, we just celebrated her sixth birthday. Um, and she can walk. But, but I'm going to tell you, she's got more wobble in her walk than, uh, than, uh, than, a, than, a, than a tire with one lug nut on it. And we're reminded, we're reminded that we live in a, 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 a fallen, broken world and our hope is not in this world our hope is in a kingdom that is coming there's always going to be brokenness you get old and you can't hear you get old and you can't see you get old and when you sit down you don't want to get up you get old and you find yourself in a nursing home or you put your parents in a nursing home you get old and your your kids even as adults don't get along there are all kinds of things that scream at us that say hey you didn't make a perfect kingdom you don't have a perfect kingdom there's got to be a better kingdom you better hope in a kingdom that is coming and not in the kingdom of this world this is a broken world and every kingdom that we've ever been a part of is a failing kingdom kingdom so just stop <laughs> just stop the invitation from the text is to a future kingdom and it is an unfailing kingdom and you can be a part of it this morning I read in Luke 14 and verse 15 this morning Jesus is inviting people to this great party this great party and in luke 14 and verse 15 he talks about inviting people to a banquet the greatest party that has ever been thrown our father throws the best parties and when you come into the kingdom there is a great party that is going to be thrown and i invite you into that kingdom this morning we are to love and serve within this fading kingdom while we wait for the final kingdom you say uh, mark how do i how do i get in the final kingdom believe on the lord jesus christ confess with your mouth jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead stop trusting yourself stop trusting the kingdoms of this world trust christ and his death burial and resurrection trust him alone Rest in what he has done. 
and he will save you today. Every Sunday we have communion. I already mentioned it. Let me just mention this, and, and I'll pray and invite you to come today. I just want to read a statement. The stone that will break the failing kingdoms of this world into pieces was broken so that we could live in his everlasting, unfailing kingdom. I'll read it again. The stone that will break the failing kingdoms of this world into pieces was broken so that we could live in his everlasting, unfailing kingdom. When we come today and we take bread and juice, we remember the price that our Lord Jesus Christ paid, that the stone paid in being broken for our sin that we might have the hope of his future unfailing kingdom. My, my hope is resting in Christ and Christ alone. And I hope that as you come today, you remember him and what he's done. And that you'll rejoice in this banquet that is put before us that reminds us of the failing kingdom that we live in, but the future kingdom that is unfailing that we have to look forward to if we trust Christ. Father, we ask you to help us now to remember you. As we've looked back at uh, prophecy, as we've looked back at history, as we've looked to you and you alone as the author of it all, we could argue with its clarity. We could argue with its precision. But Father, we would be wasting our breath. I pray that we would look to you today. I pray that we would look to you as that great stone. I pray that we would look to you and we would ask ourselves, are you the cornerstone of our lives? I pray that we would look to you and wonder if you're a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I pray that we would look to you and wonder this morning if our hope is not in the failed kingdoms of this world, that will only get worse or is our hope in a future kingdom and Lord I pray that you would help me it's so easy to get bogged down it's so easy to get distracted it's so easy to enjoy the excitotoxins of this world that taste so good that feel so good that take us nowhere that offer us no hope but I thank you Lord Jesus that you are the bread of life I thank you that you are that water that satisfies. And I pray that many today would come and eat and drink and be filled. In Jesus' name, amen.